0: Adoles Garcia just wrecked Houston in the ALCS and St. Louis is catching flack for having traded him. I want to talk about it. You are locked on MLB prospects, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On and MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanduelcom slash locked on to get started. So we're recording this on a Tuesday midday and fresh off of watching the ALCS, the Rangers, just wreck Houston and go to the World Series. And one of the storylines that came out of this game, and it's partially a tweet from Jeff Passett of ESPN, is about the St. Louis Cardinals trading away Adoles Garcia. Here's the tweet. On December 21st, 2019, the Texas Rangers paid a nominal sum of cash to the St. Louis Cardinals for the rights to a 26-year-old outfielder with 17 major league at-bats. His name was Adelis Garcia. In the ALCS this year, Garcia is hitting .357, .400, 893 with five home runs and 15 RBIs. And after... and sent that tweet out. It ended up being that, yes, in fact, Garcia was named the MVP of the ALCS, as we expected. And I want to address, there's a bunch of people that are dunking on the St. Louis Cardinals for this trade, that this was a dumb trade, they have a long legacy of dumb trades, and they have traded away some really good prospects, and they are bad at trading. And There's a couple aspects of that I want to discuss. It is entirely possible to go find trades that the Cardinals have made of prospects that did not work out well for them. In hindsight, this trade obviously did not work out. In 2018, they traded away Patrick Wisdom, who was a second rounder in 2012. They traded him away. He ended up being, I think he came in fourth place in rookie of the year with Chicago. In 2017, they traded for Marcelo Zuna from the Miami Marlins, and they gave up Zach Gallen and Sandy Alcantara. Zach Gallen was later flipped for Jazz Chisholm. Uh, and yeah, there's a history of bad trades. And the trade that comes up most often in relation to this one and in the conversation last night was the Randy Arozarena deal in January 2020, where they traded Rosa Reña and a veteran, and a draft pick for pitcher Matthew Libertor of the Tampa Bay Rays, who was the top pitching prospect in baseball at the time, a draft pick, and a veteran. The draft pick in that, that St. Louis received in that Randy Rosarini for Matthew Libertor deal became Tink Hintz, their number one pitching prospect. There's still hope that'll work out. And bad trades happen and it's important to understand some important context behind why trades happen, why bad trades happen, and absolve St. Louis of a little bit of blame here. The first thing I want to point out, and somebody responded to Passen with this and he retweeted it later. Adolis Garcia was DFA'd by Texas in February 2021. No one claimed him on waivers. They were trying to make a spot on the roster for Mike Fultonevitch who they got from Atlanta. No one claimed Adolis Garcia on waivers. He later came back to camp as a non-roster invitee. If you blame St. Louis, you also have to blame every other organization in baseball from not seeing the value in Adolis Garcia and going out and getting him. But you can go, one, you can go to any team and you can find dumb prospect trades. Prospect trades happen all the time, and dumb prospect trades happen all the time. Shane Boz was a player to be named later in the Chris Archer deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. They got Tyler Glasnow, they got Austin Meadows, who is now with the Tigers, and the player to be named later was Shane Boz. Fernando Tatis was a Chicago White Sox. He was a member of the Chicago White Sox farm system, and he was traded to San Diego for James Shields. And it's not just bad organizations you can make fun of for this. Jordan Alvarez, age, like 19-year-old Jordan Alvarez was a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers and was moved for a reliever to Houston. And even Texas is not immune. Texas traded away Sammy Sosa. Like, just every organization has made dumb trades. But also the context behind the St. Louis Cardinals in the span of just a couple months, December 19 and January 2020, trading away both Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarenia, there's some context here. The Randy Rosarenia deal was backing up a bit, but when they were looking at making these two trades, at trading Garcia and trading Rosarenia, Harrison Bader and Dexter Fowler were starters for St. Louis. They had Tyler O'Neill, they had Lane Thomas, and they had Dylan Carlson coming up, uh, all pushing for playing time in the upcoming season. So they had seven outfielders for those spots. When Garcia was traded, he had spent almost the entire of the entirety of 2018 in Memphis, in the AAA affiliate of St. Louis, where he batted 256 with a 281. On base, Yes, he had 22 home runs, but he didn't look like he was going to be a world beater. He got 21 games in the bigs and he went two for 17 with one extra base hit. No walks, seven strikeouts. Feels a little bit defensible at the time based on the results you had seen. That yes, it made sense that this was the guy that we would trade. Now, uh, the issue here... And it is right if you want to dunk on St. Louis for the perspective of it's not the results, it's the process. Evaluating pr- prospects is hard. Breaking news, evaluating prospects is hard. And you have to look at the process versus just the results. You can't just look at a stat line and say this guy is good or this guy is bad. And Adolis is Garcia. In Adoles Garcia's situation, he ended up in a scenario where he played in Cuba, he played in Japan before he came stateside. And so in 2017, after he was now a member of the Cardinals, he went straight to Double A and then to AAA and repeated AAA before being promoted. He was very much a late bloomer. He was dealing with a, a, a new culture, a new country, all of that stuff. But again, it comes back to process over results. And I want to get more into that. And we'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace Medical. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world and it is important to be prepared. Whether you are somebody who likes to travel. I've mentioned on the show before about I have friends who their idea of fun is going to a national park and disappearing for a week. That is what they do for enjoyment. And or you're someone who lives, say you live in Hawaii. They just dealt with wildfires. Say you live in Florida. They deal with hurricanes. We deal with tornadoes where I live. That is why it is important to be prepared. And that's why I have taken advantage of our new sponsor, Jace Medical, and have gotten myself a Jace case. It is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics, to treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case to add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. Maybe it's something where you need an antiparasitic, things like that. So go to jacemedical.com, enter code LOCKEDON at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. Again, it's the 5 Essential antibiotics, and then you can choose and add on additional medications that best fit you or your family's unique needs. Go to jacemedical.com. Promo code locked on J A S C. Promo code locked on at jacemedical j a s e medical.com. Okay, so I want to illustrate what I'm talking about when I discuss process being more important than results. And the player we're going to do it with, apologize in advance for dunking on the Oakland A's, but we're going to use Tyler Soderstrom, one of the top prospects in Oakland's organization, uh, a catcher slash first baseman. We've discussed he's been playing some of both. And in the majors, he actually caught n- all, just a few more games than he played first base. And in the minors, it was the same situation. He was relatively close on starts at first base and starts behind the plate. And in 77 games in AAA Las Vegas this season, Tyler Soderstrom 252, 308, 526, 21 home runs, 40 extra base hits, 25 walks to 88 strikeouts. And on those stats, it sounds entirely defensible to call Tyler Soderstrom up to the Bigs and give him a shot in the majors. They gave him 45 games, and in those 45 games for Tyler Soderstrom, he went 160, 232, 240. Three home runs, four total extra base hits, 11 walks to 43 strikeouts. His strikeout rate went from 26.6% in AAA to 312 in the majors. Now, he was a little bit unlucky. The expected stats for the major league was 207, 216, 328, which is better, but still not good. And I think part of the issue here is Oakland looked at the results, the stats that he got, and not the process. There's a couple different flaws in this whole thing. So, something that I want to highlight that was an issue for Tyler Soderstrom and should have been a red flag going into this major league call-up for Oakland was Tyler Sautterstrom's chase rate. He chased 35.1% of the time in AAA. And it wasn't like he was struggling with one specific thing. It wasn't like he that slider down and away would get him. He chased 36.1% of the time on fastballs. He chased 34% of the time on breaking balls and 34.1% on off-speed pitches. So he was a very aggressive hitter at the plate, constantly looking for and going after pitches that weren't optimal pitches to hit. You had a plate discipline issue there. And so despite bringing the chase rate down a little bit in the majors to 29.5% in that small sample size, again, his strikeout rate goes up almost 5% to 31.2%. But the other reason why the process matters more than the results, maybe when it comes to prospect development, is where he played. So the Las Vegas Aviators is his AAA team in the Pacific Coast League. And big prospectors know that the Pacific Coast League is an offensively oriented environment. And we have a lot of the minor league park factors For 2023. And so when you rank the parks by home runs, likelihood for home runs, the Las Vegas Aviators, their ballpark in the Pacific Coast League is the third highest ranking park in all of the minor leagues for home runs. You are 22% more likely to get a home run there than you are in the average minor league park. Again, number three in all of the minors when you rank it by runs it is also 3rd in all of the minors you are 33% more likely to get a run in the Las Vegas Aviators home ballpark than you are anywhere else and when you do the math account for half the games at home and all of that stuff and assuming i did this math right his triple a slash line remember remember it was 252 308 526 which already is not necessarily mind-blowing right but at least feels like he could hold his own at the major league level that slash line when you do the math to account for that park should probably actually have been 236 291 479 his ops drops from 834 to 770 his ops goes down 64 points if you remove the influence of his top three offensive ballpark in all of baseball. And this is a scenario, and again, I'm not trying to dunk on Oakland. I don't know if they ignored this, if they didn't notice it, if they just mentally checked, if nobody even looked, I don't know. But this is a scenario where Tyler Soderstrom, from a statistical perspective, from an input, from a process perspective, was not ready for the major leagues. From a pure statistical standpoint, from the production that he did, you could argue that he was. Again, 252 batting average in AAA is not mind-blowing, but you think the guy would be able to survive and he puts up a 160 in the majors. I'm not saying Tyler is never going to work out as a prospect. I'm not saying that Tyler is bad. I'm saying that he probably wasn't ready to debut in the major leagues and lose rookie eligi- yeah, lose rookie eligibility. And I don't know if Oakland saw all of this and decided to push him anyway because they had nothing to lose. Or if they didn't know all of this in the first place. But this is just an example of how it's not just the results that you come up with, it's the process. When you look at some of these parks, some of these parks are terrible for offense. The Mississippi Braves, double A in the Southern League. I've talked before about the Southern League having a lot of pitcher friendly parks. The overall park factor for the entire league is dead average at 100 but the Mississippi Braves specifically park factor of 76 for runs. You are 24% less likely to score than you were at the average park for home. That's worst in all of the minors for home runs. It is a park factor of 77. So you're 23% less likely to hit a home run. And so it explains why, Atlanta sometimes promotes prospects, either gets rapidly gets them through and past Montgomery. Think A.J. smith He had, I think he made two starts in A Montgomery and they moved him to AAA. Or they can be confident calling a guy up straight from AA. In this case, I'm thinking of Michael Harris and then I'm thinking of Von Grissom because they've looked at the inputs, the process that he's doing, versus the statistical performance that he's putting up in Mississippi. Uh, The actual worst park for home runs in all of minor league baseball, which makes this end-of-season performance even more impressive, is Modesto. The Modesto Nuts, 74 is the park factor for home runs. So you're 26% less likely to hit a home run in Modesto than the average minor league ballpark. Thought that was quite interesting. And when it comes to leagues as a whole, The California League and the Pacific Coast League are the two that stand out the most, where you're more than 10%, on average, more than 10% likely uh, to hit home runs or score compared to everybody else. Whereas conversely, the Florida State League is the only park factor under 90. It's at 89. A little bit harder to evaluate Florida State prospects, pitching and hitting. And then same thing with California League and Pacific Coast League prospects, both pitching and hitting-wise, because the offensive environments are so skewed, whereas the AA Southern League, the Single-A Carolina League, the AAA International League, they're all right there, 99-100. The high-A South Atlantic League is 98, so a couple of leagues that are right there around league average. You can see this same effect when you look at Colt Keith change ballparks, change leagues. And it looked like his offensive performance wasn't as good as we were expecting, but it was a scenario where he was in a different ballpark, in a different league that was a little bit tougher. And so really what he was able to do was very impressive in the context of where he was when he went from A Erie to AAA Toledo. In just a minute, knowing some of this, I want to dive into a couple players that were drafted in 2023 outside of Wyatt Langford that had really interesting debuts and discuss how much of this was process, uh, what the process says about some of these results. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The World Series is set. By the time you watch this, we will know who is in the World Series. I do not know. But you can make your postseason debut in the World Series with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today. You can get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. You can bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who's going to win the game. And if you don't want to wait the entire game to get a win, predict what will happen in the next at-bat with a quick bet. Head on over to Fando.com slash locked on right now. As of time of recording, they have the Texas Rangers favored in a hypothetical matchup over the Arizona Diamondbacks, but they have the Philadelphia Phillies as a slight favorite over the Texas Rangers in that hypothetical matchup. Either way, Game One of the World Series starts Friday at 8:04 p.m. Eastern. That is the projection projected start time. Make so step up. So go to fanduel.com/slash locked on right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets and make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, back in for the final segment of Locked and MB Prospects, looking at some of the debuts of guys outside of your Wyatt Langfords, who had pretty interesting results and were trying to figure out does the process behind it match the results or not? So Enrique Bradfield out of Vanderbilt was a first rounder to the Baltimore Orioles and a player that was really, I'm going to say polarizing, I guess, in the draft. Because there was a lot of disparate opinions as to how good he was going to be. He's seen as the speed is an 80-grade speed. His defense, he's probably, he was believed to be one of the better defensive center fielders now that he's in the minors, probably in all of the minors, right? Like an 80-grade defense. But there was questions about how poor his power was and where he was going to fall on the power range and if he could hit enough in general the speed was real. He led all 2023 draftees with stolen bases. He stole 25. He was 25 of 27 on that. He finished up in high A Aberdeen, hit 291, 473, 329. So there's the lack of power we were asking about. But what do the offensive inputs say compared to the slash line? Was it a lot of luck? Was it things like that? And when you look at what he did, he had a, 91% 91% in-zone contact rate, right? If the ball was in the zone, he had a 91% contact rate. So that was second amongst all, all draftees in 2023 that had at least 50 plate appearances. And in-zone contact rate was around 96%, the best mark. Very, obviously, you love to see that. The chase rate was just around 9%. Fantastic numbers. Obviously, now there is a caveat here that he just came out of the SEC and he finished in high A and it's, it's believed that the average competition level in the SEC is probably pretty equal to the average competition level in high A and obviously some of the better players that you will face in the SEC are your Paul Skeens, guys like that are better than your average pitcher you will face in high A. So it should have been very easy for him to acclimate to professional baseball at those levels. We saw that he only swung 29% of the time. And for context, in at the major league level, the lowest swing rate for any player is 35.8% and that was Juan Soto who was known for his legendary plate discipline. This statistical performance 291 473 329. I don't know how statistically significant it is because a lot of this stuff, a lot of these numbers have to normalize, right? This is this would be one of the lowest swing rates In history, if it was over a full season, not quite statistically significant. There's other things that would work in his favor when they normalized. He had a 60 something percent ground ball rate, which is incredibly high and would likely normalize closer to maybe 50 percent over a full season. Interesting debut. I think you can learn some things from it, like the stolen bases, obviously, but I don't necessarily know how predictive those stats are simply because the process to get them isn't something that's sustainable at higher levels. He's not going to always see younger pitchers than him at a skill level lower than what he was doing just right before the draft. This was a unique situation, and I don't know how applicable this is to his prospect career or his prospect pedigree going forward. Another interesting debut was Trevor Warner, the third baseman for the Royals. Came out of uh, Texas A&M and something where when you look at what he did between rookie ball and low A, 352 seven Oh three. And there's a couple things here. One, he's old for the level. That's been a lot of discourse. That's a common Conversation topic in minor league baseball is guys being old or young for the level, but when you look at his contact ability, right, seventy-five percent contact ability in zone, he was over eighty percent chase rate was under twenty-five percent, and if you look at all of those inputs, players who missed twenty, like who had a contact rate above 75%, had an end zone contact rate over 80%, and a chase rate under 25%, his 90th percentile exit velocity was the best of all of those guys. And credit to Baseball America for having those exact numbers because I did not have that. And something where there's things to be concerned about, he didn't do that well in college. He did better on the Cape Cod League, which is weird. Usually it's the other way around because of the wood bats versus metal bats. But seventh round guy, interesting debut But a lot of the stuff that you see, a lot of the process in there looks to be pretty solid. With the understanding of age to level, you're like, okay, similar to Bradfield. It's, okay, these are, this process, it's good process, but is it sustainable process? As he moves up in the level to something more age-appropriate, that's going to be the big question. Continuing that same idea, Aiden Miller of the Phillies. Rookie ball, 414, 528, 483. Total slash line between rookie ball and low A, 303, 425, 379. Four extra base hits, walks 15% of the time, strikes out just under 19% of the time. Something where he had a contact rate of better than 80%. He had an end zone contact rate better than 85% and he had a chase rate under 15%. That group of people coming out of the draft who had at least 50 at-bats who did that is like six people. And age 19, making it to low A, having that kind of performance, that feels like it's sustainable going forward because he has appropriate age to level, unlike Warner, unlike Bradfield. Feels like he has... Appropriate age to level, and it makes you feel like, okay, the power wasn't necessarily there. He didn't hit a home run, but he appears to have all of the raw stuff he needs to hit home runs. He's got very good bat speed. The raw power specs to be pretty good. You have to feel good about the contact ability, the on-base ability continuing as he gets more comfortable in professional baseball. And now the question is going to be how much power shows up. And then defensively, does he stick it shorter? Or does he move to third base? Fantastic week this week. Uh, a couple more fun things coming up. We're talking Reds tomorrow. We, uh, we have a guest on Friday to talk about potential first rounders in 2024 out of the SEC. So stay tuned f- for that. In the meantime, if you have questions for the show, uh, thanks for our mailbag. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We have email, Discord, subtext. Tons of ways to get a hold of us. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.